the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today is a special day in terms of our celebration of the Feast of the Transfiguration also, and celebrating the Fast of St. Mary. So hopefully we'll try to reflect on uh, both of these uh, different uh, feasts and, and how we can kind of put that together and apply that to our life. Right? So when we look at the Feast of Transfiguration, where was Christ transfigured? It's a small group, so I'll try to ask you actual questions, not rhetorical questions. Where was he transfigured? That's a very easy question. Mount Tabor. Okay, so it's clearly a mount, right? Like, you have to climb up to get to Mount Tabor. So, when you think of the location of his transfiguration, this glorious event, this magnificent event, right? this event where he, he's shining so brightly that the disciples can't even look at him. You have to recognize the location as this, this peak, this mountain peak, right? And obviously, to get there, you have to climb, right? You have to leave the, the base level and get to the top. Right? So, in order to reach the location of the transfiguration, there has to be a climb. Like, there has to be work. You're reaching this height, right? And so, it's work. It's labor. It's sacrifice. It's difficult. It's hard. Right? Climbing a mountain isn't a walk in the park. Right? It's real work. Okay? So, that's the first thing to keep in mind. Right? That there's a difficult climb to reach this event. Now, during this event, what actually happens? Of course, we know Christ is shining and he's glorious and he's magnificent. But what is he actually doing? What, what happened during this time? Was he just like, just chilling, glowing, like, hey, look at me, I'm really bright? Did he talk to anybody? Did anybody come visit him? Who came? Moses and Elijah. Very good, right? That's what you see here in this icon. Right? And what were Moses and Elijah talking to Christ about? What were they doing? What was Christ talking to them about? Were they talking about the weather? Like, hey, I hear this hurricane that's about to hit the valley? Or <laughs> Interestingly enough, they were talking about the most difficult event in the life of Christ. Right? What is that event? What was the most difficult part of his life? The crucifixion. Okay, so in Luke 9, and uh, hopefully you recognize this, Behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they spoke of his decease. They spoke of his death. They spoke of his crucifixion. So in the midst of this glorious party, like he's shining bright and it's all fun, they're talking about his death, right? It's like when you're at a party and... You talk about like the lamest topic, like you want to kill the vibe, 
They talk about someone dying. Like, really? <laughs> You're ruining the moment, man. <laughs> but there was something intricately linked, intricately bound to this event. That the crucifixion is, in a sense, one and the same with the transfiguration. Right? In order to experience the transfiguration, this glory, you have to also recognize the cross that's centered in it. Okay? You have to leave this base level and climb, struggle, work, labor. And once you climb and you put in all that work, which is essentially what the crucifixion is all about, you find the transfiguration. Or better yet, the transfiguration is in the process of that climb, right? Because I always like to clarify, it's not like there's a cross, then a resurrection, right? But they're both connected as like the same reality. We experience the joy of the resurrection while we are crucified with Christ. A lot of times we say, when this is over, when the struggle is over, Whenever this tribulation is over, then I can finally have some peace. Then the resurrection will come. Then I'll have some joy. Then I'll have some comfort. And that's like the worst mentality to think about. Because we find joy in the cross. We find the resurrection in the cross. We find the transfiguration in the cross. That's why they spoke of his decease during this time. We think of the Virgin St. Mary. As soon as she heard this news that she was going to give birth to Christ, you think that course, it's this glorious declaration, right? You're going to give birth to God, right? The biggest reason in the world to go throw a party, right? But what's the first thing that St. Mary does? She leaves her little comfort zone and goes to Elizabeth to serve her cousin, right? And Luke Chapter 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Why did she hurry with haste to go to a hill country, to a city of Judah? That's where her cousin Elizabeth resided. Right? So, in the midst of this magnificent news and all of this joy... She actually goes to the cross to go serve. She humbles herself. She leaves her comfort zone while she's pregnant, right? And she goes to serve someone else who needs her, right? This is how St. Mary walked the path of the cross, right? How she ascended this mount and climbed to the transfiguration, right? She left her comfort zone. She was just at home with Joseph, She's chilling, everything is comfortable, and then she's like, I need to go work, I need to go labor, I need to go serve. That's sacrifice. That's what the cross is all about. Leaving your comfort zone and climbing the mountain. Without that climb, there is no such thing as the transfiguration. That you will never experience a transfiguration in your comfort zone. Okay? And so... St. John Climacus says, Ascend, my brothers, ascend eagerly. Let your heart's resolve be to climb. Let that be your heart's resolve, like your intentions are to climb. 
Listen to the voice of the one who says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God, who makes our feet to be like the feet of the deer, who sets us on the high places, that we may be triumphant on his road. That's why, by the way, anytime you're going to Jerusalem, even if you're going from the north, and you're going down south, you're still going up to Jerusalem. Because the direction to Jerusalem is not so much a matter of geography, like it's not described in the direction that you're going, but in the elevation of your destination. Because Jerusalem always sits on higher ground. So anytime you're going to Jerusalem, you're climbing. Right? And, and that's where you find Christ. Right? That's where Christ is born. That's where Christ resides. If you want to go to Jerusalem, you must climb. Regardless of where you're coming from. Right? That's what it means to experience the transfiguration for the new man to come to life. That the old man has to be put to death. You leave the things behind of the old life and you climb to the new life. Right? So today I just want to talk to you about this climb. How do we make this climb? First, I think it's important to recognize the necessity of this climb. And I kind of alluded to that a little bit as I was introducing this this topic. That you must climb. It's essential to climb. It's necessary to climb. Without the climb, there is no salvation. And then the destination of this climb. Where are you really climbing to? What does it mean to say that we're going up to Jerusalem, we're going up to Mount Tabor, right? And then the reason for this climb, right? What's really your motive? What's driving you? Because it's going to get tough and you're going to question why you're even here, why you're serving, why you're laboring. And unless your motives and your reasons are pure, you're going to throw in the towel the moment it gets tough, okay? So the necessity of the climb, the destination of this climb, and the reason for this climb. First, the necessity. St. John Kalmakis says, it's possible to walk even when tied with the fetters of the worldly affairs and iron cares, but only with difficulty. For even those who have iron chains, sorry, those, uh, there's a typo there. Let, let me repeat that to, for it to make sense. It's possible to walk even when tied with fetters of worldly affairs and iron chains, but only with difficulty. For even those who have iron chains on their feet can often walk, but they're continually stumbling and getting hurt. And you see this back in the day in in those movies when people are in prison. I don't think they do that nowadays, but they have those like iron chains and like this big metal ball around their legs, right? And kind of closing that. You can walk with that, right? But you're always stumbling, you're always falling. If you have those chains around your ankle, sure, you could take a couple of steps, but you're really not going to get anywhere, right? And that's what the world does to us. It chains us. In the Ladder of Divine Ascent, when St. John Climacus is talking about the spiritual life, and all of these steps, and he's talking about the most beautiful steps, prayer, humility, obedience, he's talking about love, all of these virtues, patience. You know where he starts? First, renunciation. Second, detachment. Third, exile. Before we can get into what it means to love, what it means to obey God, what it means to live with patience, and all of these lofty virtues, 
Let's first get one thing straight. You have to renounce the world. You have to detach from the world. And you have to leave the world. That's exile. Right? Those are the first three steps. A lot of times we're trying to live with God, but we're, we're you know, still holding on to a part of the world. That we haven't really let go, and we wonder why there's so much tension in our life. Right? It's like we're trying to pray while we're keeping our phone right in front of us, just in case I get a text message or a notification. I, I, I want to keep a part of the world in my life. Right? And it's never going to work. Right? I want to tell you about the story of the time I met a little bird. Okay? Some of you might have heard this before. But it was a memorable experience in my life. I was walking back home from school in Miami when I was studying for my physical therapy degree. And I saw this bird just tied with like this string around its feet. Right? And it wasn't like this beautiful little canary or like this cute little birdie. It was like a little crow, right? <laughs> like a dark, vicious bird, right? But a part of me like still felt bad that it was tied down and it would like flap its wings and try to fly away. And then, of course, to no avail, right? It would flap its wings and it would rise like two or three inches. And of course, because it's tied to the ground and it was just like caught in this web and th this string was like tied around some bush and it was tangled, it couldn't fly away. No matter what this bird did, regardless of how hard it flapped its wings, it was never gonna fly away. The only way it could experience the freedom of soaring in the sky is if you break those chains, right? And so, like, with uh, my, my innocence and my compassion towards this little bird, like, I gotta help it out. So, I obviously didn't want to lose a finger, so I, like, I got to figure out a way to protect myself. So I took off my jacket, threw it on the bird so I can like, calm it down because it was like frantic and aggressive. And then like got my hand in between its feet and I pulled the string and then I grabbed my jacket and pulled it away from the bird and it immediately just shot up in the sky. Like, that's all it needed, just to break away. And don't forget, our hearts are wired for God. That's why St. Augustine says, You, o Lord, have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until what? They rest in you. When we say that we're made in the image and likeness of God, that means we're wired for him. Nothing will satisfy us but God. And so our hearts are naturally inclined towards him. If you leave yourself on default, your natural setting, what's going to happen? You're going to walk to God. And so, really, a big portion of our life is just breaking away from what present, prevents those natural movements of our heart. Right? So again, the necessity of making this climb, the necessity of leaving things behind, the necessity of detaching, it's not just necessary, it's, it's essential. It's, it's a matter of life and death. Our detachment from this world is a matter of life and death. Think about why Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. It wasn't just because she looked back when she left Sodom and Gomorrah, but because she couldn't let go. 
If you can't let go, you will never experience a joy, the joy of life with God. And it doesn't mean it has to happen all at once. You have to be like St. Anthony. But you just tell God, God, I want to let go. Help me. I know it's necessary to let go. If I do that, then all the hard work is done. Lord, help me to break away. I know I need to break away, and I just can't. I need you. Okay. Next is the destination. Where are we really climbing to? When we say we're climbing to Jerusalem, we're climbing to Mount Tabor. Where, where is that? The irony is that the direction that we're heading is not so much an ascent, but a descent. In a sense, you're climbing by descending. St. Isaac the Syrian says, The ladder of the kingdom of heaven is hidden within you and within your soul. Dive down into yourself, away from sin, and there you will find the steps by which you can ascend. So if you think about where you're heading, you're really heading to your heart, deep down to find where Christ resides. You don't have to necessarily go to a mountain, right? You don't have to make this pilgrimage to a destination. Like the same way in Islam, one of the five pillars is you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca, right? That's where you, you find Allah. For us, Christ abides in our hearts, right? And of course, we find him in church. We find him in certain places, right? But first and foremost, he says, the kingdom of heaven is what is within you. Because if you can't find him in your heart, you won't find him anywhere else. Right? That's why it's so essential to just be still and quiet and attentive to God in that quiet time, in the time of solitude, in the time when you're alone with Him. Okay? If you think you're busy, then you have to think about whether that's a real valid excuse. Because men like St. Pope Krullos, the, the Pope who led an entire church, prayed a liturgy every single day, never missed a single Vespers, always served, always stayed with God alone in his room. Right? One time, a group of priests were sitting with the, their bishop, and the, their bishop was telling them about how they need to spend at least a half hour in the morning to just pray and to meditate on the scriptures so that they can go out and serve, so they can fill their heart and go and really help the people they're serving. Otherwise, you're just empty and you can't give anything to people if you're not filled. He spoke to them about that. And then one of the priests raises his hand and he says, Sayyidna, that sounds great. But you have no idea what it's like. First, in the morning, kids are jumping on you. You're already sleep deprived. Take them to school. And then you have to attend to all of these meetings. And then in between all of these meetings, people are fighting with each other and you have to settle all of these debates and then you have other services and other meetings and by the end of the day it's just like one blur so the bishop looks at this priest and he says ah you're right there's no way you can handle all of that with a half hour of prayer in the morning you need a whole hour <laughs> Because you need more grace. You need to fill yourself with God so that when you go out into the world, you have the wisdom of Christ. 
You have the patience of Christ. You have the love of Christ. Henry Nouwen says, Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we become victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as a substance of the new self. That is our furnace, the time of solitude. Whenever we struggle, we struggle with all of the deceptions that we try to, you know, justify and the encounter with God. So I have to ask myself, if I'm making this climb to encounter Christ in my heart, that time of solitude, just to be alone with Him. And don't forget, this is how St. Mary lived her life. We're venerating St. Mary and we're talking about how amazing she is. And then hopefully we want to emulate her. Whenever she heard all of this magnificent news, St. Luke tells us on two different occasions that she pondered all of these things where in her heart. Like it's almost like she just stepped back and just meditated on what God was doing. How often do I do that in my life? But I need to give it time. I need to give it intentionality. And finally, is the reason for this climb. Why am I really making this climb? Because if I don't have the right reason, the moment it gets tough, I'm going to fall. And trust me, it's going to get tough. And if it doesn't get tough, then you're not walking the Christian path. As Christ said, in the world you have tribulations. And in Acts, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a beautiful little story when a coyote started chasing this rabbit. And obviously, he just saw this rabbit and he's hungry, so he's going to chase this rabbit to get some food. Right? He has a reason. Hunger is driving him, like a real motive. He's got to have dinner. Right? Then these other coyotes in the pack, they see him running. Like They don't even know why he's running. They don't see the rabbit up there. But, like, Dog instincts, when they see another dog running, like it's time for the chase, right? So they just start chasing after this coyote. So this pack of coyotes chasing after this coyote in the front. Obviously the coyote in the front is running and running and running and this rabbit is going through all of these bushes and cutting and turning and you know, at certain moments the rabbit's out of sight but the coyote knows he's up there, right? And he's just going to keep running. He has a reason. He's getting tired, he's exhausted, but he's running. But even when he can't see the rabbit, he knows the rabbit's just hiding in between the bushes up there. Meanwhile, when those other coyotes behind him start to get tired, what are they going to do? They're like, well, what's the point of this anyway? Like, why are we even running? They don't know that there's a rabbit in the front. They're just like, oh, it's natural instincts. We see another coyote run and we just like chase because it's an impulse. Am I going to church just because everyone's doing it? Am I going to church just because, oh, it's the fast and that's what you're supposed to do? Just formalities. Just to check off this checklist, right? Am I, you know, going through the motions in my own spiritual life? Well, I just read and I pray, whatever. 
And, and I'm not saying to stop going through our discipline when it gets tough. But am I doing it with indifference, with apathy? Or am I doing it for the real reason? Because I know there's an objective in mind. And what is that objective? What is the rabbit for the coyote is the objective, right? What is that rabbit for us? What are we running for? What are we running the race for? To a St. Paul says, we're running for the prize, and the prize is Christ. And the reason we run is because of our love for Christ. If that's not my motive, then I will inevitably fail. Listen to how St. John Climacus puts it. The man who renounces the world from fear is like burning incense that begins with fragrance but ends in smoke. And so a lot of times, we want to do the right thing just because we're afraid of the punishment. We come to church, we go to the services, we pray because mom said, if you don't, you're grounded. And I don't want to get punished, so what do I do? I just go through the motions. Right? But as St. John Climacus puts it, that person begins with fragrance, with something sweet, like fragrance, but ends in what? In smoke, nothing left, just smoke. It's not going to get you anywhere when you're doing it just because you're afraid of the punishment. And then he says, he who leaves the world through hope of reward is like a millstone that always moves in the same way. You see a millstone just revolving around this center? Not really getting anywhere, just like a cycle, not really progressing. A lot of times we're like, oh, I want the reward. Right? I'm doing it for the reward. I'm doing it for the recognition. I'm doing it for the praise. But where does that leave you? With nothing. But, he says, he who withdraws from the world out of love for God has obtained fire at the very outset. At the very beginning, there's a spark of fire. And, like fire set the fuel, it soon kindles a larger fire. The one who leaves the world because he loves God starts like a spark of fire and then ignites everything around him. Just leave you with the example of Saint Paul of Tomo. Saint Paul of Tomo was an amazing ascetic. He sacrificed every ounce of energy and effort in his life to struggle in his ascetic discipline. This is what we read in the Synexarium whenever we commemorate of a fall of Tammu. For his great love, for his great love to the Lord Christ, he exhausted his body with austere asceticism, fasting, and many prayers in a way that exceeds human endurance. Okay? He even exceeded human endurance, just in an unnatural way. That's how much he struggled and labored. For this, the Lord Christ appeared to him and said, Enough struggle, my beloved Paul. Imagine, you're struggling so much that God comes to you and he says, like, Yo, it's okay, you can just like relax a little. <laughs> Enough. You're like, Abuna Joe, you're working too hard, man. <laughs> like, you could tone it down a bit. That's what Christ said to him. You're working that hard. You know how he responded? St. Paul humbly answered him, 
Let me exhaust my body, O my master, for your name's sake, as you exhausted yourself for mankind, and you are the true God who gave himself up for us, the unworthy sinners. So the Lord consoled him and strengthened him and ascended to heaven. It says, let me love you the same way that you loved me. That's why I want to struggle, because I know how much you love me. I pray that's our motive. That's why God chose St. Mary, because of her love for him. That's why she was able to leave the world behind and to sacrifice her time and her energy to serve. May God give us the glory of the Feast of the Transfiguration and to imitate St. Mary in everything. Unto God is due all glory forever. Amen.